It's our WWE Hell in a Cell 2020 review show on the Double Turn Podcast, which starts right now. Well, the show was, uh, well, there was lots of cages involved, lots of red cages, and, uh, well, let's just get into it, because it's Hell in a Cell 2020, and I really, I don't know if I don't have the words to say what this show was. I'm not going to say it was all bad. I'm certainly not going to say it was all good. But I don't know if it's a thumbs in the middle show. Like, I have no real thoughts about... (sighs) Look, I watched two pay-per-views. Actually, technically, I watched three pay-per-views this week. Because NXT decided to do, we hate WCW so much that we're going to bring back one of their statement pay-per-views. Yeah, because you're smart like that. If we get a chance to talk Halloween Havoc, I don't know if we will. Um, there were parts of that show that were interesting. At least they decided to have a set that was not based on an LED board. I miss when WWE had unique sets for their pay-per-views. I miss that. Hey, since we're getting rid of a lot of talent, why can't we just put it into sets? Just saying. This is the Double Turn Wrestling Podcast. I feel like I've already gotten on my soapbox five minutes into this show, and that's okay because we are talking Hell in a Cell 2020. I do have a co-partner in this endeavor. It is Jorge. He is the J-Man. How are you, sir? I mean, I I like how you said that you didn't have the words to describe this show. Well, that's going to be a real big problem for this podcast, that if you don't have any words to describe. No, look, look. Look, this is, this is what happens when we do our preview and prediction show, and there are four matches that we have to preview, and then two days before the show, they add not one, not two, but three matches to the pay-per-view, in which I can't talk about it, I have no idea what's going to happen, because ever since they moved SmackDown to Fridays... It's suboptimal to do a show, even during COVID times, on Friday night. It just is. I'm not going to wait for SmackDown. This is why it's been my pet peeve ever since they did it back in October that they need to not wait until the go-home show to make half their pay-per-view. I don't think I'm alone in saying that's terrible. You're not. You're not. Remember last year for Hell in a Cell <laughs> when we had three matches on the card? I don't want to remember – I don't want to remember last year's show because it was awful. <laughs> it was okay? terrible. So, if you're asking me if the 2020 version was was better than Ten the times 2019 better. version, by default, it's better. <laughs> so, I, I mean, that's but but that's not that hard. <laughs> okay, true. so I I I just okay. So, for, for, to answer your question, I'm doing great, even though good. I'm on my cell phone. Uh, well, my my laptop took a crap on me literally as I was getting ready to start this show. I was stuck in a traffic jam. I had to pick up dinner late. 
Ross was kind enough to go ahead and hang on. I've had a day, man. So now I'm on my cell phone and Ross is recording it for the first time on Zoom and we're hoping that it goes well. I've I've had I've had a week, okay? I need I need tomorrow's work day to be over already. But that's besides the point. It's almost my weekend. Thank God. However, I do have to talk about actually we have to talk about this show. So before we get into it, I do want to tell you that my Bound for Glory 2020 review show from Impact Wrestling is up on one of our many sites and platforms that I will do right now. I only say mine because I did it solo. I did the preview and prediction show. I'm pretty sure I'm the only person on this podcast talking that actually watched the show. So, and again, that's not anything against Jorge. He just didn't watch the show, and I already did the preview and prediction show. So I did the review show. It's up. Go listen to it, and then listen to this pay-per-view. Once again, I guarantee you, actually, I know that that pay-per-view was better than this one. I know it was, because I watched both. Um, So go listen to that show. You can find the Double Turn Podcast on one of our many different platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, CastBox, and the Anchor app. You can find us on Instagram at the Double Turn Podcast, or hey, Slaying the game as usual. The one and only J-Man19, Ross the Robots 85 are our personal handles on Instagram. Boss Ross TDT on Twitter. If I ever get back on it when I'm live tweeting a pay-per-view, which has not happened recently, and I apologize for that, but that's just the way it is. Um, questions, comments, ideas, anything involving with the show, you can send us messages to uh, any of those. Uh, we've got some exciting shows planned up after this. We'll talk about those at the end of the show. We're kind of going fast because we are starting a little bit later than usual. So let's just get into the show. Hell in a Cell 2020 from the Amway Center in Orlando, Florida, because I have to say that every pay-per-view now, I don't care if they do the next 30,000 pay-per-views from here. It's where it's taking place. It's not at the Performance Center. It's still in Florida. It's still at the Amway Center. That is their home base. That is where they did this pay-per-view. So going into this show, the only things we knew about were the main event, the win. Actually, we knew all three Hell in a Cell matches, and we knew Elias versus Jeff Hardy. That's what we knew going into this show. They added a pre-show match. They added – now, I realize that we probably could have talked about the Money in the Bank contract match because that's been a storyline on SmackDown for a while. And we knew Bobby Lashley was going to have a match. We just didn't know who against. So it's kind of hard to talk about stuff. You don't know what they're going to do until day of. Sorry, just venting. WWE knows what they're doing most of the time. But they've got to stop this nonsense of adding three three matches two days before or day up, and I'm sick of them announcing, we're going to announce this on Twitter, then we're going to have a match of the pay-per-view, because we're hot. Yeah. Thank God they don't announce things through tout. Remember my rant on tout? It's awful. I'm glad it died. How could I, how could I forget? It's not like it didn't just happen last week. Yeah. Tout By the way. Sucked. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's good to see that your headsets are doing just fine. And again, for those of you who saw my story on Instagram, I'm genuinely serious about starting a uh, 
what do you call it? Not a not an OnlyFans. What's it called? What's it called? Wow, really? That's 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 what you went with. Jorge now wants to start an OnlyFans for me to buy me a headset. Wow. <laughs> Did you mean a GoFundMe? <laughs> you, yeah, or, a, or, or perhaps a Kickstarter? Or perhaps a Patreon, yeah. Um, one of record, those three. For the record, I will not be starting an OnlyFans at any point, okay? <laughs> but he's going to start a TikTok. Absolutely not. I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> Absolutely Anyways, not. It is, it is nice to see that those headsets are doing well. I was talking with Razor the other day after, uh, after Game 4 of the World Series. She did say that those headsets did come off the head and that it almost went into the wall, but you held back. Nice to know that you held back with him. You didn't hold back with me. Jerk. Um, that being said, by the way, before we move any further, congratulations to Ross and congratulations to the 2020 World Series champions, Los Doyers. Shout out to the shout out to the LA Dodgers. Shout out to the city of LA Lakers and Dodgers winning titles within uh what two and a half week period, True. something like that, um, which has never happened ever because well you know this was the first time ever that the NBA went all the way into October. Usually the NBA is starting in October. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Ross is an enormous LA Dodgers fan, and um, I'm sure he cried. Yeah, so actually, just to correct you, and I really don't mean this to be a jerk move, but uh, 1988, the Los Angeles Lakers and Los Angeles Dodgers both were champions that year. Oh, I, I know that. I'm saying in the sense that they've never won it that like at the same time. And, and oh, what I mean by that, yeah, well, also it's because it's never happened. Well, right, no, because normally the NBA Finals take place in June, whereas correct. the World Series normally takes place in October. Exactly. Or, or November, if you're the New York Yankees, and that year that they went into November and called Derek Jeter Mr. November. That being said. Yeah, that was 2001, right. Yeah. So, but nor, but because of COVID, it screwed everything up and the timelines yeah. and, yeah, so. Yeah. So, it was, like, really, really special, the fact that they won it within, like, that, that time frame and whatnot. But anyways, yeah. I, I did want to take some time on the podcast Ross is a huge Dodgers fan. I love you, man. Congratulations to your team. It still um, uh, it still hasn't set in, by the way. It I'm happened sure it a few hasn't. days ago, and I still really haven't been able to uh, fully just enjoy it. Probably because most of my friends that are also Dodgers fans are like not within like a, a hundred miles of where I live right now, so right. it's kind of hard to celebrate. Plus, you know, the whole crowds thing. I don't need to go into it. The whole thing is that. Uh, I wish I would have been there. It, it was kind of weird uh, for them to win their World Series for the first time in 32 years in the Texas Rangers ballpark, and they didn't even play the Texas Rangers in the World Series. That yeah, you're weird. absolutely right. That was no. weird. But you know what? Well, it was really cool to know. I didn't re- know this until I read it. I know we're a wrestling podcast, guys. Give us a second. You know, we love baseball, so just give us a moment. Um, but it was really cool to know that, I mean, they were like 20 miles away from Clayton Kershaw's hometown. True story. So, yeah. um, uh, hopefully, look, they're they're. You're right. This is not a this is not a sports podcast. It's a wrestling podcast. There there are lots of things that are coming out of that series. That anyway, yes, the Dodgers won for the first time in 32 years. I'm ecstatic. I can't wait to uh, really officially celebrate it and really have it sink in because uh, I've been a fan of theirs for probably the better part of two decades. So it's kind of, it's kind of been difficult. 
Yeah, I've got a few friends that are Dodgers fans. So really, really congratulations to you guys. I'm really happy for you. And here's to hoping that within our generation, we finally get the LA Dodgers versus the New York Yankees in the World Series. It would be really nice if that happened next year. It should have happened this year, but the freaking Tampa Bay Rays are apparently really, really good. Um, and we oh. just can't seem to beat them. So, yay. So, that being said, this is Hell in a Cell 2020. I do have to start off with the fact that, uh, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that really wanted it, Jeff Jarrett was on the pre-show panel. That's right. Double J was on the pre-show panel. And uh, it was kind of weird, but at the same time, whatever. Like, I've I've never been a big fan of some of the people they put on the pre-show. Um, you cannot convince me that Rosenberg is talented. I'm sorry, you just can't. Um, who is um, – who's you the guy like – Sam Roberts. Yes, Sam Roberts is terrible, too. Look, I'm not saying Booker T is a beacon of hope either, but, you know, at least – look, I'm happy that Charlie Caruso was there. All I'm saying is there are pre-show panels that have been way worse than this, okay? That's all I'm saying. So on the pre-show, well, remember when I told you way back in the day that I knew this 24-7 gimmick was going to run out of steam? I just didn't know when. If it wasn't dead before this pay-per-view, it's dead. Like, I get it. I really do get it. Essentially, they have turned that title into a prop for our truth I get it. Okay? It's dumb. It's silly. We've got, you know, Marshmallow winning it. We've got, you know, what's his every- face? Uh, I mean, basically every celebrity under the sun wears it for like two minutes. Right. Every like- diva that's retired has worn it for the last like... Yeah, so, I mean, again, they could have made it entertaining. They could have made it fun. But now it's just, hey, let's just find ways for R-Truth to be an idiot, lose the title, but then just win it back that night. Well, I think it peaked um, during, you know, with Drake Maverick and R-Truth. I think that that was – because we all – I think we can all agree that Drake Maverick and R-Truth, that little thing that they had going, was very fun. It was very funny. Um, It was relatively enjoyable. But, uh, I mean, it, at some point, it was going to have to run its course, and it did. And, I mean, R-Truth is doing his best to continue to make it entertaining and whatnot. But at the same time, it's just like, it is no. time filler. No. Uh, you know? Literally, they need, they need to just retire it. I mean, at this point, look, I'm even fine. Look, I said this in my Bound for Glory show because it's a, it's a legitimate thing that's going on in TNA. I'm sorry, Impact. I keep calling it TNA. It's habit. It's Impact Wrestling. There's a guy on their show, Moose, that is walking around with the TNA World Heavyweight title. It's a prop. It's a gimmick. And he's a heel. So it works. He walks around. Everybody's like, Moose, you know that's not a real title. I don't care. I'm the champion. But but you're not defending. I don't care. I'm the world champ. It's a heel thing. It works. And then if you decide to pay it off or you decide to do anything for it, at least you have one person taking it seriously. (laughs) This, no one takes seriously. So I just want them to retire it, get rid of it. It's done. Like, I'm officially over it. 
whatever it is, mark the state down. By the way, our truth beat Drew Gulak by a submission, whatever the hell that means. So it's done. It's done. So let's let me let me just take a quick peek here. The WWE 24/7 Championship was established on May 20th, 2019. That was a long time. That was a night after Money in the Bank. So the I night after here, the best Money in the Bank ladder match of the last 15 years. But nobody else is willing to admit that because oh, three course entree with poo for dessert. Nope, oh, sorry, fake news. Fake news. Uh, so <laughs> look, um, mark this down, October 29th, 2020, this title's dead. And it probably was dead sooner than that. So don't jump down my throat, but mark I mean, it down now. It was probably dead. The, 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 it was probably dead May 20th, 2019. That's, that's fine. Whatever. I had, I had fun with it for a while, but now it's just dumb. It's filler. I don't need it. Our truth can be a comedy act and be very entertaining without this BS. I've done. What is it. he now? He's like a 38-time champion. Legitimately, I'm pretty sure it's around that number. Uh, because you said it, I'm going to look this up and then I will speak no more of this match or this belt or anything around it. You guessed 38. He is Correct. up to he is up to 42. Wow, I was close. I was close. So. Shout out to me. Yeah, 42. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really don't even know what to say. That For the being, love of the good Lord, let us move on. <laughs> yes, thank goodness. So, much to my surprise, Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso opened the pay-per-view. I was ecstatic. Uh, so, this was the first of, not one, not two, but three Hell in a Cell matches on this show. It was for the Universal Championship. The stipulations of this match were um, if Jay quit, then essentially they would be exiled. Bo yeah, booted out of the family. Out okay. The, and out of the NOI wrestling family. So him and Jimmy and their wives and their children. Okay. Like their entire collective so, family. So basically the entire lead up to this match is either we're going to see a family torn apart in quotes. Sounds like a soap opera. Then again, wrestling pretty much is a soap opera, but let's just let's just put this into context. Either we see Jay Uso. Jimmy Uso plus kicked out of the family, or we would see Jay Uso as the universal champion. Okay, now that I've got that out of the way. This match. Oh, by the way, this was also an I quit Hell in a Cell match. Okay, so not only have, do we have one gimmick being a Hell in a Cell match, then we have an I quit stipulation. That's a second gimmick. And for at least half the match, it was a strap match. So we had a hell in a cell with an I quit stipulation with a strap. Confused yet? Excited yet? I'm not. Because apparently a hell in a cell, a, a, an actual hell in a cell stipulation 
not good enough. Or if you were going to do an I quit stipulation, did it have to be in Hell in a Cell? No! So, this was 29 minutes of Jey Uso refusing to quit. It took Jimmy Uso quitting for his brother. Now, if this storyline, and albeit I don't like this idea either, if this storyline is Jimmy quits for Jay, and then Jay turns on Jimmy and joins Roman in their family, that would make sense. Because Jay never quits. Jimmy did. Which, by the way, I don't know how that works because I thought one person that's in the match has to quit. So, okay, hold on for one second. Hang on. So, just to clarify. So, Roman was beating the snot out of Jay. Mm -hmm. Jimmy comes out. He's telling him to back off. Let's Let's talk this out. And Roman's like, okay, fine. And, you know, they shake hands. And then Roman grabs Jimmy and puts him in the guillotine. And then Jay said, I quit. So Roman would let go of Jimmy. So Jay actually said the words, I quit. Okay. So, again, okay. So then reverse what I just said. It would make sense if Jimmy turned on Jay and joined Roman. That would make sense. Maybe. Okay, so that being said, if you're telling me that there was actually a tease of Roman Reigns saying, I quit, again, my entire complaint, actually half my complaint, half my complaint is that it's Jay Flippin' Uso. The other half of my complaint is, okay, I understand that Roman Reigns is a heel. I understand that I don't like this heel term because they don't have a good explanation for it. They just decided he was going to show up and just be a heel. But I'm sorry. I don't believe the storyline. The entire storyline is based around the fact that this family that is actual family is actually going to break up. I get it. It's pro wrestling. I get it. But you're meaning to tell me that I'm supposed to believe that at any point, Roman Reigns is not winning this match and this feud? No! So why do I care? So... There are a lot of matches and there are a lot of feuds that we have watched over the years that we knew for a fact that one person was not going to win that feud at all. Okay. Okay. Yet most people, Ross included, were still able to enjoy them for some odd reason. Or maybe just, you know, the quality of the storytelling, the quality of the wrestling itself. Would you like to give me an example of this? Um, let me see. In one moment. Um, Storyline, okay? Let me be very clear. Storyline, not match. But I'm pretty sure that in 2016, you were, for the most part, on board with Dean Ambrose and Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 32. 
not the match, but the storyline. Am I accurate in that assumption? Okay, here's, here's the difference. Okay, go ahead. Here's the difference right away with that analysis. I agree with you that I accepted the fact that at no point did I have delusions of grandeur that Dean Ambrose, a.k.a. John Moxley, was ever going to beat Brock Lesnar. Mm. No, no delusions of that. However, do I buy Dean Ambrose as a world champion? Yes, I do. Okay. No point do I ever see Jey Uso being a world champion of any promotion. And that's fine. That's I'm perfectly sorry. fine. That's perfectly fine. But I think the, the thing is that we have to take away from this, which I keep say, which I, I think that I've been relatively consistent on over the last few weeks, is that this story is not meant to put over Jay. This story is meant to put over Roman in the sense of Roman has decided to take more drastic measures because he has now reached a certain point in his career and he has to continue to push himself. And the only way that he can do that is by pushing everyone out of the way. Excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. Okay, so this is what I'll say then. This storyline story would be a thousand percent better, okay? Let's say Roman Reigns comes back, has no explanation for what he's done, which is what's happened, right? He comes back, he just starts killing everybody. Just killing everybody. And then you don't have him win the Universal title, and you still do this feud, and you still have the same result. I totally understand. My big problem is... They are tying this storyline and this feud with a title. Well, here's the, but, but, and here's, I guess, the rebuttal to that was it was either this or you keep it on Strowman. Or, uh, actually, no, because Strowman lost it. Uh, Strowman lost it at SummerSlam. Well, actually, no, you could have kept it on Strowman or you kept it on The Fiend. And so they put themselves in a situation where what was the most logical situation to be placed in right now? Roman. And, and, and it's, Does Roman need to be the champion as soon as he comes back? No. Of course not. Of course not. So, like, okay. Roman does not. Ro- Roman's, Roman's set. We know this. Roman is the guy in World Wrestling Entertainment. Like, okay, so then, so then you could have done this exact storyline as a launching point of Roman Reigns just completely changing everything about him to the core – and not once again, which, by the way, I love how everybody's like, oh, well, they didn't force this championship down our throats because he's a heel. I'm sorry. I'm not buying it. Yeah, but at the same time, you got to remember, though, bro, the fact that he hasn't been world champion in two years in, in the, when he was last, cha- last world champion. He held it for less than 30 days. You okay, know? okay, but my point is that this feud, yeah. this feud, does not need a championship attached to it. Which is fine. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. And, and they're basically shoehorning it in. Yeah, so, I guess so, so. So look, I'm sorry. To me, this was 29 minutes of me waiting for Jay Uso to say I quit. I'm sorry. I can't enjoy this feud. I can't. Okay, that's fine. I, to me, it was – I'll be honest with you. I thought the match went excuse me, a little too long. I won't give you that, but so did the other two cell matches. I mean, Sasha and Bailey were given 26 
And then Drew and Randy went 30. So this was the second longest match of the night with the longest match of the night being the main event itself. Um, I mean, when you actually look at it and you do the math, the three Hell in a Cell matches were half the show, which is unreal to me. But that's fine. They were the main, they were the main attractions, and I'm willing to give, give them that. I think from a storyline perspective, though, Ross, I liked it, and I was able to appreciate it just as much as I did the Clash match. And I think if you heard the dialogue in particular between Jay and Roman in that match, I thought that that was really important. Um, I will say Brian Wynn, shout out to Brian Wynn, the referee in that match. He talked, he spoke too much though. Like that was annoying. And, but at the same time, it's an, I quit match. So he has to consistently be asking the competitors whether or not they want to quit. So I'll go ahead and give him that. But overall, from a, from a storytelling standpoint, you could tell Jay was, you know, and, and you heard it on commentary, which I really, I'm glad that they addressed this, even though this was not Michael Cole's finest night on commentary. I will give, I will tell you that right now. This was one of the crappier performances of Michael Cole on commentary I've seen in a long time. Flubbing all over his lines, like mixing up words, not pronouncing words. Like there were words that he was saying that I was like, that's a word and it's not a word. He meant to say something else and it just sounded like ass. But that being said, um, Michael Cole and Corey Graves addressed this really well. And it's what I stated a few minutes ago was Roman Reigns and the let me, let me make sure I get this clear. Jay Uso said this, and, and they addressed it on commentary, is the fact that Roman Reigns was feeling the pressure of being the top guy in WWE, and because of that, changed his character. I know that's not quite the explanation that we wanted, especially since it didn't come from Roman. I get that, but at least it's something. At least it starts to kind of get the wheels turning a little bit, in my head at least. I know that it's not going to get it in yours, and I fully understand that, but I think that it was really important to make sure that that was said. Because, you know, you're gone for five months, right? And you come back and all of a sudden you start killing anybody, everybody, and then you want people to hate you, but you're not giving me the reason why. At least I know that from a storyline perspective, Jay has noticed Roman has been off and he's trying to figure it out why. And then Roman has been taking it out on Jay. And so Jay's obviously not going to back down. Um, to me overall, I really like this match. Again, it went long. I, I think it could have been done in 20 minutes, maybe 20. I would have said 25 at the longest. 29, I was like, oof. There was a lot of standing still, but at least they filled it with good dialogue. And that was the psychology on, in this match, to me, was really, really strong. And I think that's something to be commended. It was not by any means brutal, although there were some spots that I was just like, wow, in particular. Roman putting the steel steps right next to Jay, Jay's head in the corner and, and going for a drive-by drop kick. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was a spot that I was just like, oh, okay, that's pretty gnarly. And then, you know, you talked about the strap stuff and whatnot, but let's be very clear. Those strap shots hurt like a mofo. I mean, they really sunk into one another. And that was, to me, there was a certain level of brutality that matched the the storytelling within the match where it wasn't high spot, high risk. I didn't need it from that, from this match. I appreciated the pacing to an extent. Like I said, I have stated that it was a little bit long, but the pacing overall matched the storytelling in the same way that there was a faster pace to Sasha and Bailey, which I really appreciated, which we'll go ahead and discuss in a few minutes. I I thought that this match was really, really well told. 
Um, I think Jimmy being placed in – let me actually be very clear. I, I love the fact that they gave Roman a submission move. I love the fact that he's now got a submission move to go along with the spear. And I think that the guillotine is a really good uh, submission move for him to have um, because of his size. Um, and he can hit it and he can hit it on big people and he can hit it on smaller dudes. Does that make sense? Yes. There are times that, you know, like I can't, I can't take seriously Daniel Bryan putting the yes lock on a guy, Braun Strowman size, even though Daniel Bryan is a great technical wrestler. It's just from a size differential. It doesn't make sense. Roman can, obviously we saw it a week and a half ago. He did it to Strowman. He put him in the guillotine lock and made him tap out. Yeah. So I think that that was very cool. We haven't seen the theme music change for Roman yet, and that's still a little bit tough for me to take a swallow at. But they've made the tweaks, and they continue to make tweaks to Roman's character that's making me appreciate him more and more. I, I, I still agree with you. I think that I need a promo. I need a promo from either him or Paul saying, this is the reason why I came back and started destroying everybody. Now, they're giving us Easter eggs all over the place of – the pressures, right? I think that's really important. But to be fair to you, I don't think it's quite enough just yet. Roman Reigns defends his Universal Championship. He retains in an I quit Hell in a Cell match over Jay Uso. Before we move on, Ross, can I ask you, did you actually, were you able to appreciate this match a little bit more than their clash match or were you indifferent to it? No, don't care. Sorry, I don't. Okay, it's fine. I, 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 I can't, can't get into it. So, um, Elias and Jeff Hardy had a very forgettable match that ended in a disqualification, which means they're having another match. Um, I don't really know what else to say. This went eight minutes. There wasn't really much to it. Um, I'm glad Elias is back, but he could be doing so much better. And look, I, I'm I'm not I'm not trying to besmirch Jeff Hardy here, but like both of these guys could be doing much different things. And unfortunately, we're stuck with this feud, and I'm not happy about it. So unless you want to add anything, I'm moving on because Elias won by disqualification in a very forgettable match thought it was trash that Elias won via disqualification. I mean, I why the hell too. not? You know, dude comes back after four months being gone for whatever injuries he had, and, you know, he's in this storyline where he thinks Jeff Hardy went ahead and hit ran him over with a car, and you're going to go ahead and have him win by disqualification because Jeff Hardy hit him in the back with his guitar. And then, you, you know, you've got, you've got the raw commentators, shout out to Tom Phillips and Byron Saxon and Samoa Joe, and they're discussing, oh, you feel bad for Elias in this situation. Well, of course you'd feel bad for Elias in this situation. Dude comes back because he got run over by a car and then everybody is still defending Jeff Hardy. From a storyline perspective, that makes zero sense to me. It's this, It's not quite as bad as you getting mad over Roman Reigns and stuff like that, but it is stupid. Like there's a level of stupidity that's associated with that storyline and, and, and with that logic of, oh, let's root for Jeff Hardy. Why? Why are we? Why should I be rooting for this man? Elias just came back. He got run over by a car. Wouldn't you be pissed off too? Yeah. Like it makes oh. no. Elias should have won this match fair and square. But whatever. That would be like uh, no. Nah, okay. 
I realize this is a big jump in lot in logic and of just whatever, but that would be like you paying off the first match of Stone Cold Steve Austin getting run over by a car by him winning by disqualification. It's trash. It is trash. I understand. I know that was one of the biggest storylines in all of wrestling that year, and this is a minor storyline on a show on WWE programming. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, I know. But it's still stupid. Like, there's no I, logic attached to it. So I agree. Okay, so um, essentially what I would like to, to, for, for you to lay out for everybody, yeah. because we had a Money in the Bank contract match between Otis and The Miz, in which they've been essentially doing a storyline over. So if you would be as concise and brief as possible – Explain to everybody why The Miz and Otis are feuding over a Money in the Bank contract briefcase. Well, so Otis is, of course, currently the babyface in this feud, and Miz is trying to go ahead and use his heel tactics to try and get the Money in the Bank contract away from Otis. So last Friday night on SmackDown, they had, quote-unquote, Law and Otis, and JBL was the judge and uh, Ron Simmons was the deputy sheriff, whatever. He bailiff. Did his, bailiff, thank you. Uh, and he did his usual damn, which is great. But, um, you know, Miz and Morrison have been going at it with Tucker and Otis for quite a few months now. And over a, a couple of weeks ago, Miz broke up. Uh, Mandy Rose and Otis, she, he, he got her sent to Raw while he was stuck on SmackDown. And that's really been the, the quarrel of this whole beef, if you will. And then Miz has been trying to go ahead and use his heel tactics and saying, oh, Otis hasn't cashed in his money in the briefcase yet. And blah, blah, blah. Even though clearly you have one year to cash in your money in the bank contract. So he's trying to go ahead and use that to try and sway officials to try and take the money in the bank contract from Otis and basically saying he didn't win it legitimately. The briefcase fell into his hands. If you guys go back to the May of 2020 pay-per-view show, Money in the Bank, that is the way that the match ended. Um, Baron Corbin lost grip of the, of the briefcase and it fell to Otis and he won the match. So there is some... Quote unquote hey. consistency to that. Go ahead. So, so my first question, and by the way, you laid it out very nicely. Thank my you. first question to you would be why is Baron Corbin not feuding with Otis over this? That's a great question because, um, because, well, apparently, because apparently they, they've decided to just stop booking Baron Corbin at like in, in any positive way. I don't right. need to get into that. It's very upsetting. Okay. It is very so, upsetting. So you just laid that out. So we have a match in which the winner of the match gets the Money in the Bank briefcase. Now, ever since Otis won Money in the Bank back in May, I think the general consensus has been that either Otis was going to try and cash in and lose or somehow, some way he was going to lose the money in the bank contract because he's not going to be the world champion, everybody. He's just not. And so, and by the way, that's nothing against Otis, the guy or Otis, the character. It's a matter of either this was their decision all along 
or they decided to do a hot shot surprise finish, and now they have to back their way out of it. So now we have a situation where you want to move the contract to somebody that's more viable, that's more legitimate in the eyes of the fans, and you put the baby face in a compromising position or you put the baby face in a position, which is always stupid, and I hate how they book baby faces to be idiots and be pressured into doing things they don't have to do. To be fair, to be fair, online Otis, Otis just got screwed because what happened was, I'm I'm not 100% certain if you watched SmackDown, uh, Ross. Oh, you did. Okay. Okay, cool. So for those who didn't, uh, Miz essentially bribed bribed JBL with whatever was in his respective briefcase, and JBL made the call saying that he needed to defend his briefcase on yeah. Sunday. So in this regard, even though I agree with you that the babyfaces do stupid things for whatever reason, this was one of those situations that Otis was forced into doing this. He had no choice. Um, and then, obviously, we know if you watch the match, you know what happened at the end of the match, which was, to me, very odd. Well, so, but at the same so, time, it makes sense. So, okay. I will tell you right now, it makes zero sense. Zero sense. This is a heel turn just to do a heel turn. Like, See, I, I disagree. I, Go ahead. I'm, no, okay. So, <clears throat> what has Tucker's gimmick been for the better part of a year? Otis's uh, big brother. Okay. Not only has he been Otis's big brother. Not he, literally, but figuratively. He, yeah. he's, been, he's been talking up Otis like he, – he, he's almost been a life coach. Like yeah. he, he talked him up to ask out Mandy Rose and like he's his tag team partner. And like at no point did I say, let's break up heavy machinery because Tucker feels like he's jaded – in this relationship and no well, point did I think that so to me this is a heel turn just to do one it's, it's funny sh- that you say it's, that it's sh- okay what's what's the what's the fallout from this Tucker versus Otis which I think is stupid I do think that's stupid and 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 not to mention they're both on two different shows where Otis is still stuck on Smackdown Tucker just got moved over to Raw so don't worry they're, they're, don't don't worry they can do a match at Survivor Series it'll make sense Probably, but that uh, my thing is. I say that facetiously. Go ahead. I know, I know. Um, I there is a lot of stupidity, but then there's a little tiny bit of logic. To me, over the last seven months of the Mandy Rose Otis storyline, you could always tell that Tucker was always put into the backseat every single time. It wasn't quite to the point of Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, but there was. There was something similar to that. Otis just, it was all about Mandy. And Tucker was giving him all this advice and pushing him, being positive towards him. And then you could tell that Otis never fully appreciated Tucker. I'm, 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 being, I'm being completely serious when I talk about this, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I'm going along with what the storyline is dictating towards me. So if you feel like this sounds stupid, I understand. But I'm just being completely honest with you. When Otis won Money in the Bank, he really kind of left Tucker behind. And it was all always about Otis. In the tag team, uh, on SmackDown, with Mandy Rose, Tucker was just there. And it doesn't surprise me from a storyline perspective, Tucker would be 
jealous and just fed up with this with the bullcrap of always being there for Otis and then deciding, you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm sick of being the third wheel to you and Mandy Rose. Okay, time out though. Time out. Go ahead. Okay. So everything you just said, I could see there being validity to it. However, did we really need to break up heavy machinery or break up another tag team absolutely in a division not. that's absolutely been trashed for the better part of a year? Did we really need to go down this road? No. no. The answer to that is no. Yes. So again, I say they did this just to do it. Yeah. No, I, I know that. I, I guarantee you they didn't put as much thought as what I just said into it. Maybe they did, but it just – it's it's another square kick to the nutsack in the tag team division of WWE, man. Like, literally, I can only think of – I honestly can only think of really two legitimate tag teams on the main roster right now. That's the New Day and the Street Profits. The, I was going to say, you, you better not say the Usos because they're both not wrestling. No, no. They're not. Yeah. That's not a tag team right now. I mean, Jimmy's out still recovering from his ACL. When he comes back – That'll make three. Whoop-de-doo. Whoop-de-doo. There's not even that many legitimate tag teams in the women's division, dude. Like, So not only is the tag team decimation happening on the men's side, it's now happening on the women's side. And it's just like, what on God's green earth is going on? So now that's all about – that's all I want to say about Otis and Tucker Here's the thing. I love The Miz. I think, I, I, I think I'm probably the bigger Miz fan on this show, and I'm willing to admit that, and that's fine. And I've been saying that Miz should be in the world championship picture. I've been saying that for quite a while, too. Here's the thing, though. The one time that, I would, that The Miz should be in the world title picture should not be currently. This has been the least, the least legitimate version of The Miz we've seen in, like, seven years. If you wanted Miz in the world title picture, 2016, 2017, 2018, I would have told you that's, that's the Miz that needs to be in the world title picture. This version of the Miz that's running around with John Morrison, who got basically trampled by Braun Strowman at Backlash, these guys shouldn't even be sniffing the world title picture. So this oh. tells me that for whatever reason backstage creative is deciding to make money in the bank a prop right now and just letting it run around i'm telling you this right now i don't see the miz hanging on to the money in the bank briefcase for very long i feel like they're gonna hot shot it a little bit like they've done with the 24 7 championship i have a feeling that we might not see the 2020 money in the bank contract get cashed in legitimately at any point and if it does that person's gonna lose and nobody's nobody's going to successfully cash in that briefcase this year. That's that's genuinely how I feel, and that pisses me off. So because the money in the bank contract is about as important as you winning the Royal Rumble. So you know, there's a theory that the last time Miz was Money in the Bank winner, he cashed in on Randy Orton at the Amway Center. That's right. It was like two, like a week after. Was it the week? Was it the the Raw after Survivor Series? I believe that's correct. Yeah, that's not happening. I look. All I'm I don't need a babyface Randy Orton right now. Uh, look, all I'm telling you is 
Well, no, but here's the thing. It doesn't matter. A heel can cash in on a heel. No one cares. It's, it's still, it's still, it's still the opportunist thing. Look, all I'm telling you is yeah. Miz. Look, you're right. I think Miz just needs to cash in and they either just need to get this over with and he wins or he gets, or they get it over with and he loses or he cashes in and he gets screwed out of his title. Yeah, but then the problem that I have with that is the screwing over of the briefcase itself. Like I'm, I'm but actually more concerned. But now they they have, done you're that right. Twice. You're right. Well, that's the thing. I don't need them to do that twice. You already did it once. You already gave us the wrong winner in Otis. By the way, no disrespect to Otis. I love the fact that Otis won. I thought it was a fresh change of uh, a fresh breath of fresh air in a way. But then I was like, well, hold on, because you and I talked about this. Like, what the hell are you going to do with him? Like, is he actually going to win the Universal or WWE title? Or is he going to give it to Mandy Rose and Mandy Rose is going to use it to cash in on one of the women? And that didn't even happen. They're not even on the same show. At least I, I can appreciate them putting effort in the sense of, oh, they're in the middle of a long-distance relationship. Dumb as hell. Yeah, yeah I but, don't. So, yeah. so, look, we had, we had a red herring of John Morrison trying to use the briefcase in the match, and they threw him out. And then, like, Tucker just – oh, by the way, that was, that was a horrible spot. Otis literally just hung outside of the ring for what seemed like forever. Yeah, waiting out for an eternity. That was, that was totally on Tucker. So I just, I'm sitting there going, oh, great. Another heel turn. Great. Because that's what we need. By the way, uh, did Chad Gable get rid of the Shorty G gimmick on this show or on the Raw or SmackDown after this show? There I should say the Raw after. I, I meant Raw. That's what I meant. SmackDown prior. Okay, again, my timeline's all over the place. So, now, is Chad Gable officially a heel again? That's the question that I want to ask, because I thought he turned heel like a few months ago when he went ahead and accepted the bounty from Baron Corbin. Okay, so if that's the case, then maybe idea, maybe my idea is going to come true, and we're going to see a tag I team did text of, you about uh, that. of uh, Tucker and Chad Gable. Because I'd be all actually, for that. It would actually make sense, because they're both... They're both amateur wrestlers. Tucker can lose the the whole vest gimmick of heavy machinery, and he and Chad Gable would actually make a good amateur wrestling tag team. The only problem with that is right now Tucker's on Raw and Shorty and excuse me, Chad Gable's on SmackDown. Yeah, so that doesn't. Yeah, that it, doesn't um, matter. It doesn't matter. They yeah. can just they can just have one of them show up on the other show and just change that. That's fine. That's I mean, point. no, no. I mean, clearly they've shown that the draft and the separate rosters mean absolutely nothing. So, whatever. Um, so again, I understand why they had the result that they did. I'm not a big fan of the heel turn. Um, I'm with you on the Miz needing to not be in this spot. If they were actually going to do this, they should have done it like two or three years ago. 2017 was the perfect year to do this. Like that was yeah. that was the Miz is probably that was probably his best run in the last ten years, or, or the two, or in 2016 when he was feuding with Dolph Ziggler over the Intercontinental Championship, and and obviously he cut the promo of his life on Talking Smack. Like that was the time to take advantage of the Miz, not right now when he's running around with John Morrison, doing Law and Otis. And by the way, I mean fair play to Miz. The Miz is doing everything that he can with what he's being given. And that's what always, that's to me what makes The Miz super great. 
But I mean, backstage creative doesn't know when to do things. Like this is now the moment that you want to give him the money in the bank contract instead of when he was on fire, when he actually got when he got the pop of his life in Brooklyn when he was in the ring with Roman Reigns and John Cena. You didn't do it then. You want to do it now? The these level are, of ignorance is unbelievable. These are the same guys that did a music video called Hey, Hey, Hey against Braun hey. Strowman. I mean, it, that was incredibly entertaining, and I'll give him that. No, it sucked. I'm supposed to think of that guy as a world champion. You're mad that it was Braun Strowman. That's no. all. Braun Strowman retained in that match, thank you very much. I know. It's just... Oh my god. Okay, tell you what. I'm advocating that you listen to the song once and I guarantee you you'll be on my side about cringing terrible it is. I did. I've listened to it when they went ahead and played it at uh, Money in the Bank. It's probably not, not, not Money in the Bank, excuse me, um, at Backlash. It's 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 probably your ringtone. Okay. Um <laughs> time time for Okay. I don't want to say this is a polarizing thing to talk about, but I will talk about it because it was mentioned, I believe, on our Instagram page and a bunch of other pages. Uh, you know, I, I did kind of – I did put it up there. I did because okay. I knew somebody would respond, and I knew somebody else would respond right after that. So I felt that it was a, a very interesting dialogue, and I have been purposely waiting to for this show because I want to ask you a question, but I'll let you lay it out. All right, Bailey and Sasha Banks in a Hell in a Cell match for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship. Now, I know what the argument is going to be. That this is the continuation of a feud that really never got started, that really never ended. <laughs> so there are some people that went into this match and went, oh, yeah, this is the next logical progression in the storyline of something that started years ago. And then there are other people that are like, but this is the first match in the feud, and it's a Hell in a Cell match. I'm here to tell you that I don't think that they should have been a Hell in a Cell. But I okay. think that their Hell in a Cell match was very good. But go okay. ahead. Now, Bailey brings a chair to the ring a special chair to the ring, right? Now, if I were booking this, okay, let's just, let's just take something that sounds ridiculous, but it'll make my point. Okay. Triple H, ya boy, Triple H, had a sledgehammer, a sledgehammer that he would either bring to the ring hide under the ring. Flair would have it, you know, finagling around in one of his bags. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> one sledgehammer. One! And then he replaced it when, like, Nash or Goldberg, like, broke it in half. Right? And yes, this was a WWE programming in the early 2000s. Not WCW. Yes, this is true. This is uh, Triple H would go okay. to his local Home Depot so, and buy it. He didn't go so, to Lowe's because he didn't get the discount. So, let's just say... Let's say that Triple H and Mankind had a Hell in a Cell match, right? And Triple H brings his sledgehammer out to the ring, right? Would it make sense for Mankind, Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, whoever you want to say, would it make sense for those two to bring in 50 sledgehammers? 
No, it wouldn't. Because you see, if this was booked correctly, there would have been one chair! Okay, hold on. So, well, hold on. I'll let you finish. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Now, I understand the psychology of the match. It was a well-worked match. There are problems I had with the match here and there. Okay? And I will reiterate now and again when we go deeper into it, this should not have made event at the pay-per-view. I'm sorry. To me, even if you think this is a match of the few that never really got started, that never really ended, I can't see how you can argue that this should main event this show. I'm sorry. I don't see it. You haven't, you have not built this up properly enough for me to actually believe that this should have main evented the show. So I mentioned the fact that this did not need to be a hell in a cell match. This could have been a no holds barred match, a no disqualification match. Um, I realize it's not TLC, but something along those lines of basically any and all weapons are, in, are involved or allowed to be whatever. I don't care. If you're having Bailey have one special chair, don't overdo it with gimmicks. Now, if you want to have an instance where Bailey comes out and brings in a bunch of hardcore weapons and beats the hell out of Sasha Banks, and then halfway through the match, she goes under the ring and finds her chair. And then her chair is basically like her crutch to try and win the match, and then it backfires on her. You lessen the value of her chair when you have 50 used in this match. So... To me, there wasn't that many chairs used. That's the first thing. Now, that's not my argument. When I, so you responded on Instagram with a very interesting comment. And I'll, if, if it's okay with you, I, if I may read it. Um, you responded to one of our, to, to somebody that responded, that commented on our page. You said, the angle was built around one chair, yet they decided to use thousands of weapons diminished it and when you said that i i thought you were saying that it diminished the fact that it should main event and i was like that might be one of the worst arguments i've ever heard ross use now am i incorrect did i take that mistakenly what you were saying in that comment no what i'm saying is it diminished the match Okay, thank you. I, I wanted to get that clarified because I legitimately thought you were saying for a second that because still, they used... But I still back the fact that huh. as a feud, Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre is a better feud. So now let me be very clear when I say this. I thought that there were two matches that should have main-evented this show. You say Roman we, Reigns versus Jey Uso, I swear. No, Ross, you got. can you let me finish? Thank sure. you. Sure. I was, just, I was just waiting for you to defend Jey Uso more. Go ahead. Man, that match was a banger, okay? Like, you just need to calm down. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know what to say to you right now. Go ahead. I've already interrupted you four times. It's, Go ahead. It's okay. It's okay. What I was going to say was there was two matches on this show that should have main evented. One of them was either Sasha Banks and Bayley, 
and the other one was Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton. And they picked the right, right one. And yes, they did pick the right one in, in overall because the WWE Championship, the fact that Randy beat Drew McIntyre, which we'll get into shortly, um, and, and just like this all this whole overarching storyline of the last that's taken up the last summer, a bit of summer and all of fall. Um, and you might say, Oh, well, you know, Sasha and Bailey has taken up like years and you're right. You're right. It has. And to be honest with you, I could give you an argument of why I think it probably should have main evented. It could have main evented it. it let me, let me say this. It could have main evented. I don't think it was the right call for it to main event because Ross does make some good points in the sense of even though this is a story that's been, and I'm not, I don't want to trace this all the way back to 2015 to NXT takeover Brooklyn and NXT takeover respect, because that storyline has nothing to do with the storyline that we're talking about now. What has to do with the storyline is if you go all the way back to late 2017, early 2018, that makes sense in the sense of, you know, Sasha and Bailey kind of like bickering with one another and, you know, Sasha, turning her back on Bailey in the Elimination Chamber match in 2018 for the Raw Women's Championship. That makes sense, and it should be incorporated into what we're discussing this evening and what transpired on Sunday night. But because it w- the first match of this feud, the first real match of this feud, should not have been a Hell in a Cell match. But we were dealt the cards of it happening in October, and... Had it not been a Hell in a Cell match, people would have complained that there was no Hell in a Cell match. But they already had... Okay. They already had two. You're right. You did have two. This pay-per-view, this pay-per-view could have had one Hell in a Cell match. The main event. True. I mean, true. No, because Roman versus Jay could have just been an I quit match, which, by the way, would have involved everything else they did other than the cage... And then this, but the problem there is then if you do like a no disqualification match in the Bailey Sasha, okay, well then really the only difference between a no disqualification and an I quit match is somebody has to say I quit. Whereas in a no disqualification match, it's just getting pinned or submitted. That's exactly correct. And also, you know, then people would go ahead and make this, make this, you know, make the statement of, oh, well, this is just extreme rules all over again. And to be fair, they'd have a point. They'd actually have a point because it well, would be like extreme rules. But then okay. that, that's the – so here's my argument. And, and this that is we the don't thing need that an extreme rules or hell in a cell as a basis for a pay-per-view? You're right. We do not need ex- – exactly. We do not need all these gimmicks as pay-per-views. No. Do I agree that at some point Sasha and Bailey should have competed in a hell in a cell match? You bet your ass I do. You, the, the story was going to warrant it. Heck, I can make the case that it warranted it right now because of how much quote-unquote hatred there was by, between the two ladies and the betrayal of Bailey towards Sasha and Sasha couldn't wait to get her hands on her and Bailey losing the title was a huge moment of the entire calendar year, which by the way, it is. It is a huge moment. Um, but the fact that WWE has too many gimmicks really puts them in a weird situation where they were forced to do an I quit stipulation inside of a Hell in a Cell so it could be different enough from the fact that they were having another two Hell in a Cell matches on the same pay-per-view. My, and the other point is, as great of a story and how long it's lasted between Sasha and Bailey, 
to get to this point, it's still the first match in the feud. It's still the first match in the feud, so it should not have been a Hell in a Cell match. And in that point, it should not have probably main evented. If this was the feud ender between Sasha and Bailey, then I'd be like, it's got a main event. Because as good as Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre have been over the last few months, it would have been too much history. It would have been too much hype. It would have been too much emphasis on Sasha and Bailey to not allow it to warrant a main event slot. But because of its placement and because of the beginnings only really happening four weeks ago, and I know what the argument is, oh, well, the breakup, you know, it's had the seeds and stuff like that. There's a difference between seeds being planted and four to five months worth of a feud and a story where people are just like waiting to sink their teeth in. Because I'm here to tell you right now, if you don't think that the Bailey-Sasha rematch is coming, you're crazy. You're crazy. Because... That that storyline has only just gotten started. Um, so my point is, Ross is probably right that it shouldn't have main evented Hell in a Cell. And I can make the case that it probably shouldn't have been a Hell in a Cell match. Now, Ross, can we discuss the match in and of itself? Because to me, I'm here to tell you, was it better than Brooklyn? No. No, it wasn't. And it was never going to be better than Brooklyn. No. Okay. Was it better than – go ahead. I never said the psychology of the match and the actual match were bad. I never said that. I'm not saying you did. So, did again, did this need to be Hell in a Cell? No. Um, as a match, they told... Okay, this is what's confusing to me, okay? So, they've been teasing doing Sasha and Bailey. For years, years, nearly three years, and 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 for whatever reason, they either pull the plug, or they change their mind, or whatever. And by the way, for the longest time, it was Sasha was being the more heelish of the two, and Bailey was the friendly babyface. And then Bailey turned heel. They both walked around as a unit. And then at some point, they were both champions. They were tag team champions. And then it was, instead of doing the, which at the time made more sense to me, it would have made more sense for Bailey to lose her title, Sasha keep her title, since Sasha's been bailing Bailey out of all her situations, that now Bailey's jealous because Sasha's the only one with the title. And then you have the first match be that with Sasha retaining. You had this storyline of Bailey just continuing her very long title reign and Sasha having to overcome. Look, I'm happy that Sasha won. It was a grueling match. Again, to me, there was very good pacing in this match. It was not the best thing on the show. To me, it was probably the second best thing on the show, which again, the second best thing on the show should probably not be main eventing because in theory, your main events should be the best thing on your show. Should be. Now, I realize that that doesn't always happen. There are dozens of reasons, or there are dozens of examples of matches with 2020 hindsight that you look back and go, that should have main evented the pay-per-view. WrestleMania 18. WrestleMania 18 is a great example. 
Um, let's see. Uh, I had like five in my head right now. I'm pretty sure they're all WCW related. The the WCW Halloween Havoc, I believe, of 1998. DDP and Goldberg should have made have entered that show. Oh, yeah. Um, we already talked about Rock Hogan. Um, let's see. 25, Taker versus Shawn Michaels should have made have entered. The point is, 100%. the point is that as a match, as a story, as, as much as I didn't agree with how we got here, we're here now. And so now I'm interested to see if they stick with this whole well, first of all, I hope Sasha keeps the title more than three weeks because she's literally pulling a The Rock and having a bunch of really short title reigns and putting a bunch of other people over. It's really, really upsetting, actually. Because, and by the way, I'm not saying that The Rock, you know, didn't have at least one like. Actually, did he ever hold the title for six months? Um. I'll be completely honest with you. I do not believe so. Okay. Um, his first title reign, I think, lasted like a month and a half, and then he lost it back to Mankind. And then he won it back, and then he lost it to Mankind, and then won it back, and then lost it to Austin at WrestleMania 15. And then in 2000, he held it for a month. So I guess, and, yeah. I, I guess for me, right – is your plan for Bailey to just screw her way into another victory? Because, by the way, this company and other companies have not been beneath having somebody have a very long title reign, them lose the title, and then get it back, like, within a month. Because, by the way, let's see. I can name a couple right now. Hollywood Hogan, when he first became the champion in WCW, held it for almost a year. They had Lex Luger beat him on the 100th Nitro, and then six days later... They had Hogan regain the title. So instead of him holding it for like 450-something days and then losing it at Starcade, he had a title reign for 350-something days and then a title reign for like 120. By the way, the North, the tag team champions for Impact Wrestling, which they re-won at Bound for Glory, they held their titles for over a year. They lost the titles to the Machine Guns, and then they just won them back. So John Cena... John Cena is another perfect example of that. There, there, yeah, are, John, there are lots of examples of that. So I'm yeah. hoping that the end game is not, well, we really want Bailey to be in that triple threat match at Survivor Series against the Raw Women's Champion and the NXT Women's Champion. So Sasha has to lose the belt in the next three weeks. I really hope that's not the case. But I don't know what their end game here is. So unless you're saying... Bailey's not getting her rematch. Well, okay. They could do Bailey's rematch on SmackDown. And then those two could basically wrestle for the next few weeks. And Bailey wants her shot to represent SmackDown and get her belt back. And Sasha keeps the belt. And you could do a storyline where really Bailey doesn't get her true rematch on a pay per view until what would that be? TLC? I mean, you could do that. But it's like, okay, so you either have to keep Bailey near the title or you have to take her completely out of the title picture, and I don't think they're going to do that. So you kind of have to be – kind of. so I'm sorry. I know I straight off – I said we were going to talk about the match, and I kind of talked about it, and then I didn't. The point is the match was good. I had no problems with the match other than the excessive weapons that to me took away from the story. 
you know, it's fascinating that you say that because to me, I think that the, I don't think the, the, the weapons took away from the story. Um, I thought that because of the way that this match was being wrestled um, and there, the, the hatred and the fast pace, because there was a fast pace to this that was not there with Uso and Reigns. Like there, that two different styles of wrestling. All three of these, all three of these Hell in a Cell matches were 100% different from the other. Right. That's for damn sure. That is for damn sure. And, and that's not a negative thing that I'm trying to go ahead and state. I'm just stating a, a, a fact. You got, you had Uso and Reigns wrestle this slow, methodical storytelling of a match that's super psychological. Sasha and Bailey went ham and had a really, really fast pace that you very rarely see in a Hell in a Cell match. And are you laughing at the, at the fact that I said ham? No. Go oh, ahead. Okay. Um, and then you had Randy and Drew wrestle a relatively quite traditional Hell in a Cell match. Um, my thing is there was a bit of a slow start to, to Bailey and Sasha in those first couple of minutes. Like, I was cool for, for Sasha to go ahead and kick that chair out as the cell was coming down. That was kind of a nifty spot and whatnot. Um, but those first couple of minutes, there was no botches. I'm happy to say that there was no botches in this match. Um, other than the fact that Bailey was trying to go ahead and put duct tape around those two kendo sticks together, and that made absolutely no sense. But for the most part, some really good spots here. Um, you had Sasha do that sunset flip off the ring apron into the cell. Like, that was pretty ridiculous. And then she went for the Meteora running up the table towards so towards Bailey, who was on, on the cell. And you know, Bailey showing her superiority and strength and just freaking tossing Sasha like a rag doll. Um, and then the ending of this match, the way that Sasha made her submit was really, really, really creative to me. I don't know about what you think, Ross, but for her to go ahead and, and it made sense because the chair came all the way back and the chair into the next spot came all the way back. So it was a very interesting and creative way to end the match for Sasha to go ahead and have Bailey's head in between the chair and then constantly kick the, the leg of the chair so it could make Bailey choke, forcing her to tap out quicker. I thought oh. that was really well done. No, look, I, I agree that the finish of the match was good. It's just, it took all the... By the way, I'm sorry. This is another pet peeve of mine. I understand that they're called signature moves. How many Meteoras did Sasha Banks do in that match? It had to be at least 17. Not, no, not that many, but I'm definitely going to tell you four. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a lot. That's, a that's, that's, that, 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 that's a lot. And that is it something is. that, look. Ro Roman, Roman hit three spears on Jay, though. Okay. That's his finisher. But he was, okay, okay. Okay. Enough. Yes, I'd be much more... Okay, I'm annoyed when he throws one Superman punch. When he throws 17 in a match, it's dumb. WrestleMania 31, yeah. <laughs> it's dumb. It's You're dumb. Right. Okay, yeah. so... Uh, I'm sorry to do this, but we must move on. Yes, so, that's fine. All right. Uh, Bobby Lashley faced Slapjack for the United States Championship. He won in four minutes via submission. Do you have anything else to say? No. Okay, retribution is awful. It needs to die now. Now. 
I don't care. It's dead. Can we please do anything positive with the Hurt Business? I, I don't, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out who's the baby face in that because they were constantly booing both. No. And they were both being heels. The, there is – okay. Lashley is only a baby face by default because Retribution is that awful. Okay, fair enough. So the Hurt Business is the, is the baby face in this feud. Only for that night. Okay. And, and by yes, the way, only, only dealing in this feud are they supposed to be the baby faces. Yes. Can I say one positive thing from this? In a four-minute match. Go ahead. No, not the four-minute, not, not the match. Go ahead. Other, other than the fact that Bobby Lashley having a submission hold is a good thing. Yes, that is. Okay, so then two things. Yes, because the full Nelson or the Hurt Lock, as he likes to call it, is, yes. is badass. I'll I give agree. him that. I really like the promo cut by MVP backstage with Charlie Caruso. That shouldn't surprise you since MVP is a great talker. And again, yes, I've said you're this absolutely before. correct. If you pair Bobby Lashley and MVP, it's worked every single time. Yes, and Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin are actually helping the group. They are not just there. They're fine. Yes. They're fine. So I really like that segment. That's all I have to say. Main event time, Drew McIntyre defending his WWE championship against Randall Keith Orton in a Hell in a Cell match. This is the third match in this feud as, uh, well, Drew McIntyre beat him with a roll-up in their first match. He then won the ambulance match with the help of three other people, which, whatever, it's an ambulance match and no disqualification. I don't care. The point is, this was the third match. And I thought to myself, okay. Now, history would tell us that Orton typically does the job three times. He's already done it twice. He did it for Jinder. He did it for Mark Henry. He's done it in plenty of other instances. Maybe not jobbing three times, but he's put somebody over, at least to the best of his abilities, multiple times, if not two or three times. Okay, so I thought to myself, okay, ever since Drew McIntyre won the championship at WrestleMania, I understand that it was supposed to be a very big moment that was taken away from him because there were no fans. And fair or not, as great of work as I and Jorge and many people that listen to this show and many people in the WWE universe, and many people that just like wrestling in general would agree that Drew McIntyre is everything a world champion should be, and he's going to continue to be a big-time main event player for this company as long as he's still here and as long as he continues to progress the way he is. However, unfortunately, with no fans and no crowd – and nobody to really get that babyface reaction and getting behind a character, or vice versa with heels not really being able to get true heat because there's no crowd. I think they called an audible. I really think they do. I think, and I don't have anything to prove this, this is just me being a wrestling fan, I think they decided that... They wanted Orton to be in a high-profile match at Survivor Series. And the only way to do that was to make him the champion. And I think that 
they've done Drew McIntyre as the champion for six months, if not longer. And I think they decided that they wanted to switch things up. And instead of waiting until the Royal Rumble to do it, they're doing it now. And if you're going to do it now, you might as well do it with a guy that the fans will accept beating Drew McIntyre. They will accept a transition champion of Randy Orton, which is essentially what he's going to be. I don't think he's holding this till WrestleMania. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe this has been the plan the whole time. But given how this feud has been, I don't see them trading the belt back and forth the next few months. I think they decided, well, if Drew beats him, we don't have a plan. Which, by the way, is a thousand percent their fault. So I think they backed themselves into a corner and said, well, if Drew beats Randy, we don't have a plan. If Randy beats Drew, we can continue this for at least another few months. And we have the Survivor Series buffer of there's not really a title match because we have three brands that are all wrestling each other in which no titles are on the line. So we've given ourselves a small buffer to actually figure out what we're doing, even though this entire time WWE has essentially had to do month-to-month, week-to-week, short-term booking, and they still can't figure this out. So, look, I've said all that. I will say this. The match was very good. I don't think this match was capable of being bad. In fact, I think the only way this match I would consider bad is if one of them got hurt in the first five minutes and they had to slug it out for another five minutes just to end it. Or somehow there were just a bunch of botches that were out of their control. Or something happens where just one of the performers just couldn't go at maximum capacity. I don't think these two are capable of having a bad match. So you're not going to hear me say a bad thing about this. I will say, looking back on this show, with what they did to have this big of a title change on this show... By the way, they did two big title changes. They had Bailey lose after holding the title for a year, and they had Drew McIntyre lose the title after holding a title for seven months. That's two pretty pretty big things to do on a Hell in a Cell B-show pay-per-view. So I don't know the rationale. It was a good match. I thought Drew probably should have won. But then, again, it's back to this is the problem they have where they legitimately have seven main eventers. So... Well, if Randy loses three times, he's done. We don't have a plan. I think you make excellent points there, my friend, as always. I think it's a little – it's a mixture of all that. I also think – and I'm going to be completely honest with you, and I've seen some people mention this online, and I'm not going to be a conspiracy theorist, but I'll, I'll put my two cents in. I think Edge is ahead of schedule. I think that's what it, I think that has a lot to do with it because you're really going to put edge as the world champion. Hey man. Hey, their storyline all throughout 2020 was one of the best things professional wrestling has seen in the last 10 years. Am I right? Or am I wrong? Okay. So now, so now what you're telling me is legitimately their Mm. plan was for edge to do the triple H storyline. Their plan was for Edge and Randy at Mania. Okay, so that means that means that if that's the plan, if that's the plan, 
Orton has to hold until Mania, and Edge has to win the Royal Rumble. I, I know that so, sounds crazy. No, but... I'm, saying, I'm saying, okay, now, if Edge didn't get hurt, right? And if Edge... Edge didn't get hurt, they would have had their match at SummerSlam. Okay. So... I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I at no point have said Edge being the champion, beating Orton for this title is a bad idea. Do I think he needs to win the Royal Rumble to do it? I don't. Hell, I don't even think he needs to win Elimination Chamber to do it. They're probably going to make have him win. I, I think he needs to come back and just say, you tried to end my career. I'm taking your belt from you. I don't think there needs to be a stipulation for him getting a title match. They need to just pick up the feud right where it left off. Well, then that's the thing, though. So that's I think that right there states to me that Edge is ahead of schedule, that they do want to finish off this storyline, and so they're going to add the world title to it, and they okay. wanted this to main event WrestleMania. Okay. That's what I'm saying, though. I don't think they need to wait that long. I don't think they should wait that long. Well, that's the thing, though. Remember, because I don't think Edge is ready yet. I think that he's ahead of schedule. There's a difference between saying he's ahead of schedule and saying, oh, he's ready. I'm just saying that they'd rather put themselves in this position now where Randy goes ahead and goes over on a couple more people, and it gives Edge this time to be ready to go without – they were they were almost running on fumes with with uh, with Drew McIntyre, not because of him, but because of him not having anybody to wrestle against that would be legitimate enough to say Drew could actually lose the title, right? And it's, it's the same thing of you thinking Jay. There's no way I believe him beating Roman Reigns for the Universal Title. I can't think of anybody else on the Raw roster that I could say would legitimately beat Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship with the exception of AJ Styles. But AJ Styles seems to be focused on something entirely different right now because he's got this seven-foot-seven giant behind him. Okay, so, so, so right now on Raw, we've got AJ Styles. Um, ooh. <laughs> Okay, very selfishly, selfishly, I just saw one name that they could build up to face Drew McIntyre for the championship, and I would buy it. Not not tomorrow, not next week, but if you're building Drew McIntyre an opponent, we already talked about him. Bobby Lashley. I mean, again, so here's the thing about Bobby Lashley. I like where you're at. The thing is that they're running the risk of almost making it seem like the Nikki Cross storyline with her having faced Bailey three separate times throughout the year and then people being like, but why is she still there? She's not going to beat her. Drew and Bobby already had a ba- match at ba- – uh, I was going to say Bob Lash – at Backlash. I know. You know, is it's one of those things of would people legitimately take that seriously? I don't know. Now, granted, the Hurt Business has become something that it wasn't at the beginning of the year. So that's fair. That is fair. Maybe. 
Maybe. But now they've decided we're going with Randy. And to be fair, to be fair, you and I have talked about this much, many times prior to this happening. Randy Orton was on too big of a roll for you to go ahead and state he doesn't deserve to be the champion right now. Because on the contrary, he's had one of the better years of his career. And ladies and gentlemen, this is now a 14-time world champion and one of the greatest of all time. A person who, to me, is in my top 10 greatest professional wrestlers ever. Not WWE-centric. So All of them. So if you were going to do this, why not just have, have him win last month? That's a good question. And I think that it was one of those situations where they were like, I don't know whether or not we have anybody else around us that would be legitimate enough for Drew. Let's wait it out. And then they realized we don't have anybody else for Drew. So I think that they just got to the point where it was like, we, we don't have an, they reached the end game with, with Drew McIntyre. They didn't have anybody else that would, that he could do a legitimately good enough storyline with. And they decided to go ahead and pass the torch and pass the baton over to Randy. I think that's really what it is. Well, here's what I will say. This show was a B show from WWE. It was not a great show. It was not a terrible show. It was a show. I think the three cell matches delivered to me. I know, I know. I, 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 I think it was overkill. Oh, yeah. No, I, I wholeheartedly and, agree. And, three cell matches was ridiculous. And again, uh, now, you and I differ. So, if I'm okay, watch, watch the Bailey Sasha match. Watch the main event, and if you're on my side on the Roman Reigns thing, don't watch the opener. Don't watch it. Don't waste your time. Literally, literally, you will you will thank me for not having you waste thirty minutes of your life on that ridiculousness. Okay, now that's. That's too much. You'll thank me for realizing, oh, man, Roman and Jay actually put on a really, really strong match. Jorge actually knows what the heck he's talking about. <laughs> now, now, and we don't have time to get into it, but I will say this. You want to see a women's match, main event of pay-per-view? Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae absolutely should have made a event in Halloween Havoc, and it did. So, which, by the I mean, way... That- which, by the way, I hate to say this, Candice LeRae's gimmick is literally Alexa Bliss 2.0. It's literally the same gimmick. I'm bite-sized poison. Eek. That's terrible. That's a terrible nickname. The only difference Last is... Last Fury is much better. The only difference is that she's got Johnny Gargano. And by the time Alexa Bliss really made it big, her and Buddy Murphy had split. True, and to be fair, to be fair, Candice LeRae is probably a better wrestler than Alexa Bliss. Like, no disrespect to Alexa Bliss, but I think that's uh, pretty... Uh, technically, yes. Alexa Bliss is a much better promo, though. Oh, 100%. The character overall is Alexa Bliss. Yeah. 100%. Yes. But, 
that that shouldn't surprise you since Candice LeRae's husband is a guy that is great at wrestling and not great at promos. Well, hold on for one second, because Nikki, or excuse me, Brie Bella can't wrestle to save her life, and her husband is one of the greatest wrestlers we've ever seen. And then, uh, and wait, Nikki Bella wait. was engaged to the top performer of this generation. So okay. <laughs> No, I'm just saying it makes sense that they're they're great technical wrestlers, but can't cut promos. Just okay, saying. that's fair. That's okay. that's that's. I'll give you that. Plus, plus, Candice LeRae is ten times the wrestler that either of the Bellas are. So yes. So, uh, so and not to mention Io Shirai and Candice LeRae have been tearing it up for like the last year and a half. They can't have a bad match against one another. It's ridiculous how good they are against one another. Yes. So. Um, once we get closer to, to Survivor Series, uh, if they do what they do have done the last few years, which is basically brand versus brand versus brand, uh, I'll be I'll be very intrigued because if you're telling me I get to see Sasha versus Asuka versus Io Shirai, yeah. sign me up, one hundred percent. And hopefully, and, uh, by the way, and hopefully Sasha ahead. doesn't die. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Um, but that that ma- that match has the potential of being the match of the year. Like I, I'm not kidding when I say that. Also, listen, I'm here to tell you, the last time these two guys faced off one another, that's, it was six years ago. Mm-hmm. Roman Reigns has changed a lot. Roman Reigns versus Randy Orton. Uh, Damn. So it would Damn. be. Well, hold on. It would be. Well, yeah. Would they do? Would they do those two and the? Bauer? And, yeah. Oh. I mean, maybe. I mean, I mean, I mean they should. By they the way, should. Here's the thing, though, Ross. I'm not 100 percent sure if they're going to do the NXT route all over again. It I, seems to me like they're kind of keeping that away. That they're okay. not going to do it this year. So okay. I'm not 100 well, percent certain. Well, no, because every promotional thing says it's Sasha versus Oscar, and not Io. So okay, that would make sense. Okay, so if we go that route, right? Uh, yeah. Rand, Randy versus Roman. That's heel versus heel. That is heel versus heel. But remember, we saw that Brock versus Daniel Bryan uh, two years ago. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm not excited about Bobby Lashley and Sami Zayn. <laughs> <laughs> not, not excited about that. Uh, so the Raw Tag Team Champions, which are now the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, will face the SmackDown Tag Team Champions that were the Raw Tag Team Champions. This is accurate, but I will tell you this. Okay. I, I, okay. Take away the stupidity of the gimmicks. Take away the characters and whatnot. <laughs> so just for a second. So just for a second. So basically 80% of the show. Okay. No, stop, stop, stop. No, but in all sincerity, I'm telling you, I think that from a tag team perspective, I think that the New Day versus the Street Profits can be something that could be very, very good. Not not great, but very good. Wait, wait, wait. Do you mean, do you mean New Day versus Team Bad? Is that what you mean? No, nah, calm down. <laughs> Take it, say. No, but I'm serious though. I by mean, the way, by the way, are... I've I've seen that Street Profits Ric Flair Skittles commercial like 80 bazillion times. It's really oh, annoying. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, but I, I I could just I could see some good things coming from Survivor Series. I could. Um, in particular, that you know, the, the thing that we need to be careful of is we've already seen Oscar and Sasha multiple times, and it's like I hope they don't screw over Sasha on the road to Survivor Series just to give us something different. Um, but I think that the Roman versus Randy Orton is very intriguing. Um, before we head on out, um, 
I want to ask you one quick question, and then we'll go ahead and highlight the next two shows that are upcoming. My right. question to you is, what did you think of the – so the Fiend has had this thing where he's chasing after everyone who he, is, who he feels has disrespected him or screwed him over over the last five years. The Fiend chased or went after Randy Orton on Monday night. What were your thoughts? Rushed. I give – okay, that's fair. Rushed. Okay. Now, would that have made sense if Randy didn't win the championship? Yes. Okay. But now that he's got the championship, they need to keep the Fiend away from him. Because, again, the Fiend, you're right, because the Fiend character should not be chasing after gold. It just doesn't make really a lot of sense. Correct. That's what made The Undertaker so special. The Undertaker rarely went after a championship. And when he did, it kind of fit the storyline to what he was doing. So I was willing to go ahead and give them that. Um, but I just want—I just felt like it was a really good question because, to be fair, the Randy Orton versus Bray Wyatt storyline from 2017 was actually run, for the most part, really well. And then the match that they put on at WrestleMania 34, or excuse me, WrestleMania 33, was trash. And then, of, of course, they had the House of Horrors match, which is ridiculed for till the end of time and Randy Orton lost to Bray Wyatt while he was the WWE champion, but the, the match was not for the title and it made zero sense. So it's nice for them to go back and not try to fix it per se, but at least kind of do a continuation of like, Hey, the fiend never forgets. He did it with Cena. You know, he did it with Strowman. Um, these things all make sense. So I'm willing to go ahead and give it a chance but I do agree that it is a bit rushed, especially since it seems like Drew McIntyre is still not done with Randy Orton, and now Randy Orton might have his hands full with Roman Reigns over at Survivor Series. So I do think that it is a bit rushed, but I think it'll be something intriguing to, to watch over, over the next few weeks. Yeah. Now, Ross, we got to go ahead and preview what's coming up in the next two weeks, my friend. We got some good stuff. So next week's show... Uh, I don't have the calendar in front of me, so you're going to have to go over it. It's okay. So next week's show, we will be doing our part in the 30-year celebration of the Phenom, The Undertaker. And we are bringing back TDT's Classic Series, and basically we're going all hands on deck. Not, not with, We're not having a guest. But what I mean is we are going for – some special stuff. We, we have decided to go Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels and basically give you guys our thoughts on three of the greatest matches ever. Period. One of the, possibly one of the top two greatest Hell in a Cell matches of all time. And then two of the best matches ever competed in at WrestleMania. One, you know, one of them is a five-star match. The other one's a 4.75-star match. And the other one's also a 4.7-star match. So these matches are going to be absolutely ridiculous and we can't wait to bring them to tdt's classic series and then um the week after that ross and i have decided to do a little survivor series tradition and give you a tdt's classic series on the best survivor series elimination matches of all time now we're still working out on the matches we've thrown out some ideas that we really like, but I'm also giving Ross the opportunity to do some more research and perhaps bring me something that I haven't thought of yet, but that is something that we're taking a look into, but that is going to be the TDT's classic series before our survivor series pre-show preview show. Excuse me. Yes. 
So that is our next two shows. And then uh, by the time that gets there, uh, as he said, uh, we will be uh, on the precipice of uh, one of the, well, previously big four pay-per-views. I guess it's still considered a big five pay-per-view, even though I could now make the argument that this company now has three big pay-per-views, that being Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, and WrestleMania. Of course, with no fans in the building, are any of these shows really big deals? Let's just... Let's just be honest. That being said, I did not think we were going to go this long on Hell in a Cell. I, I say what you want. It was a show. So, any closing thoughts on tonight's show? On tonight's show, no. It was an absolute pleasure to do it. I'm sorry that uh, I had to do it on my phone and was unable to have my laptop available to me, but hopefully the audio quality comes out spectacular. We'll see what we can do for you, uh, for everybody. One more time for uh, our, uh, of course, where you can find this great show. The Double Turn Podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, CastBox, and the Anchor app. You can catch our content on the Double Turn Podcast on Instagram. One and only J-Man19, Ross the Robots 85 and then Boss Ross TDT on Twitter. Any and all feedback, comments, ideas, anything at all. We like to hear from you guys because we do talk lots of things wrestling. We talk WWE, AEW, and of course, Impact Wrestling. And I'm still mad that we missed G1. I'm just going to blame COVID and be happy about it. So that being said, check out this show and the Bound for Glory 2020 review show that is also up on our platforms that I just mentioned. So that is going to do it for this week's edition of the Double Turn Podcast with the J-Man. I'm Boss Ross, and we will catch you on the flip side.